that we have uh, the opportunity to uh, sketch a picture or draw a picture of the story for this morning, and I'll go back on our um, 40 wall. And so if you missed one of these uh, a little bit later, you can sneak out during the prayer, grab one of those, and head back to your seats. Otherwise, uh, we are in our sermon series entitled 40, and we have been looking at the different stories in the Bible, the different accounts in the Bible where the number 40 shows up. And we began by looking at the ways in which God delivers us through darkness and chaos in the 40 days of rain, the 40 nights of rain in the story of Noah. We reflected on how God appears to Moses on the mountain for 40 days as Israel has been delivered, and then the people are waiting on the bottom of the mountain, and how we are often invited to wait and wonder how God is showing up in the ordinary And last week, we looked at the 40 days of exploration that the 12 spies made into Canaan and how often we are driven by fear, not the good kind of fear that drives us into the arms of our Creator, but fear of too much knowledge or too much exploration, too much of dependence on our own understanding of a situation. And so this morning, the 40 that we look at is perhaps one of the least known 40s, and it's the 40 days of taunting that Goliath does to the Israelites before David uses one stone and brings the giant down. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning, looking at the very familiar uh, story of David and Goliath, but hopefully... Uh, We'll be looking at it with fresh eyes as we use that lens of 40 uh, to wonder about how God encourages us to look not at outward appearances, but at the heart. So let's pray. We thank you, God, for the gift of your word. We thank you for how it opens our eyes to reality. It's easy to get caught believing that reality is what we see on the screen, whichever screen that is. But this morning we are reminded by your word that appearances are not all that they seem to be. And that the heart of the matter is much bigger and much more important for us to consider, see, and engage. And so help us to that end, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and captured or camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out 
of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 16, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. This is the word of the Lord. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible open, to uh, keep it open. We're going to be looking around at a number of different spots uh, together this morning. And and if you have your Bible open, I want you to uh, turn back one chapter and look at chapter 16 and how it begins. And it begins with uh, the phrase, the Lord said to Samuel. And so the chapter immediately prior to this story begins with God initiating the action. God says to Samuel the prophet, I want you to go and anoint a new king. Saul is no longer the man that I want to lead Israel. I want you to go anoint and appoint a new king. And so as the action unfolds, we watch and listen as God very clearly directs the steps of Samuel not to anoint the one who appears most handsome or able, but the forgotten eighth son who is out in the fields. It's our first encounter with this young boy named David and this ruddy and handsome forgotten shepherd boy is anointed to be the next king. This passage is what one commentator calls highly vertical. The point is on God directing and human beings executing and on God declaring what is true and how things are to be. And it's important to have that in mind because when we get to chapter 17, you and I encounter a very different picture. So if you want to go to uh, picture number one up on the screen, we are invited to, to see battle lines. Years ago, uh, our family, not uh, my immediate uh, family, but when I was a kid, I think I was uh, 12 or 13, we went to uh, Gettysburg and we uh, sat down in the chairs where the big map is on the floor and there's the LED lights that light up and there's the whole battle lines. And, and so this picture sort of lays out for us 
the battle lines that we read about in verses 1, 2, and 3. And then if we go to the next slide, we get an overview Google Earth picture of what this looks like. And so we can, this clearly wasn't from you know, 3,000 years ago. This is a modern picture. And so you can see some of the roads and the plotted lines. And then if we go to the next picture, we get sort of an, uh, a, vivid or a vivid picture of the Valley of Elah. And uh, you can see on the far side, the, in the, the foreground, so to speak, way off, you can see one hill. And then there's a road that kind of runs through the middle, which deceives us. But if you look closely, just closer to us in the picture, you can see a brook running through there. And then in the foreground is the other hill. And so this is the valley where Saul and the Israelites and the Philistines and Goliath are encamped. And so you can imagine, based on the size of those buildings, that we're not talking about uh, Charlie's Dump here. Uh, raise your hand if you know Charlie's Dump. Okay, so that's... Uh, how about half of us? And so uh, maybe better than that, think about uh, Whistle Stop, okay? So if you're at Whistle Stop and the armies are in the dog park, the dog park is where the Philistines are. We'll put the bad guys in the dog park. We're going to put the good guys, the Israelites, all the way across, not even to the softball fields, but where that, that woods is. So there's quite a gap in between these armies. And so what we miss is that every day in verse 2, the battle lines are drawn up. And so every day there'd be some soldiers who would make their way down into the valley, stationed on opposite sides of this brook. And so then the Philistine would come out because, of course, you didn't have a, an amplifier or a megaphone so you had to be close enough that you could hear. And so this is sort of the scene that we're imagining. And notice it's a rather lush, pastoral scene. It's incredibly, as one comment, that same commentator notes, it's incredibly horizontal. If you were to go back to the first picture, you can leave it here, but if you go to back, you'd, you'd have a map that would direct us about directions to Gath and where these cities are. And so there's this very spread out scene. And then as the picture continues, we're, we sort of uh, go, we can go back to the grass and that'll sort of uh, keep us uh, thinking about the scene a little bit. Then the author shifts to describe Goliath. And we get a lot of data here. As one pastor friend of mine, uh, when he preached on this text, noted, uh, we get a ton of data. It's like a data dump on, on Goliath. We get his helmet, his armor, his legs. We get his weaponry. We get the weight. We get the color. We get the metal material. We get a, a ton of data about Goliath. And what's striking about that, and we didn't read this, 
But if you have your Bible open, you go to verse 12, then we get introduced again to David. And so Goliath is imagined as this massive hulk of a man with this spectacular armor in this lush scene. And then we get verse 12. Now David, well, he was a kid. No explanation of his exploits. He's not a champion. We're not told about what he wears. In fact, what we learn about him in verse 17, as we're told more about David, is that he is a gopher. He runs back and forth from the battle lines with bread and cheese. That's David. And in verse 16, right before that, we get, in verse 16, we get the 40 days of the Philistine coming forward. But right before that, we get what David does. And so David goes back and forth just as the Philistine goes back and forth. And what David is doing is he's tending sheep and he's bringing food. And the Philistine is taunting. He's defying the armies of Israel. And this is the scene. And of course, when David shows up into this scene, this is what everyone sees. And the author does a wonderful job of setting it up for us in this way. Not only by having verse 16 or chapter 16 be such a vertical story and chapter 17 begin with such a horizontal view of data, we are sucked into this story as if God has disappeared. If you have your Bible open, Look at verse 17 and find the first reference to God or to the Lord. You got to go a ways. In fact, you have to go all the way down to verse 26. We're halfway through the story. We're halfway through David learning about Goliath. We're halfway through learning about the scene, the data of his armor. We're, we've learned all of the facts of the story until David finally speaks in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And all of a sudden, in one phrase, all of this scene and all of the armor, all of the defiant 40 days of taunting are put in the proper place. And David reminds us as readers, his brothers on the battle lines, and later Saul, that this isn't so much about what everyone sees. It's ultimately about what God is going to be doing. And yet, the people in the story can't seem to get themselves into the, the mindset of David. 
Notice after he says this in verse 26, nobody else is like, yeah, you're right, this guy's taunting. Not just us, but God. They're not all riled up and ready to go. They're not offended. There's no sense of how dare this man defy God and taunt him. Then he goes to Saul, and what's the first thing that Saul says? We've got to get you data. We've got to get you armor. Right? And Goliath has this incredible spread. And so Saul says, if we're going to do battle with this guy, we've got to match that spread. No notice of the vertical. No notice of what God is up to. No notice of the divine spiritual reality of this fight. Only what can be seen. And David is the only one in this text whose heart is for God, who truly sees the appearance. Right in the first chapter, it's God who looks at the heart of the person. In chapter 17, it is God who through David, or David through whom God, through God, sees the heart of the matter. Chapter 16, God sees the heart of the individual, David. And in chapter 17, David is able, through God's help, to see the heart of the matter. Which is a rather in a real thing for you and I today. That reality is a real thing for you and I today. Most of us, when we think about Lent, we think about giving something up. That's what comes to mind in Lent. And most of us, if we've tried to do that, we've failed. And most often, it's because we've missed the heart. We imagine that giving something up is about body and will. It's about getting my mind in the right place. If I can just change, uh, change uh, my eating habits or change my drinking habits or change my social media habits, it's about bodily practice. It's about habit. It's what we see. And yet this 40 days of listening to Goliath taunt and go back and forth and defy the armies of Israel reminds us that ultimately our fight our fight is not with our body. Our fight is with the the armies and the forces of darkness. Our real fight is about the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the matter, the the sin that pulls us in. The heart that sits underneath the uh, social media addiction. What is it in us that so idolizes that, that is drawn to that? When we say we want to give up uh, chocolate or food or alcohol or a phone at a certain time of the day, what is the heart of it? What's sitting underneath it that shouldn't just be set aside for 40 days, but what's the fight that is at the heart of reality that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, are encouraged to see? 
Fox News would have us see politics as one way. MSNBC would encourage us to pull up the other side of the hill and see politics as one way. And you and I as Christians are encouraged to take both of those glasses off and see the heart of the matter, that this is spiritual warfare, drawing our hearts to an allegiance away from God and toward a political opinion. And devote our lives not to our creator, redeemer, and his kingdom, but to a different one. And a text like this, a text like this says, the real battle that David was in, he got. And we are invited to see the same. Listen to Paul when he writes. I'm going to read this in in context of 1 Samuel 17. Apostle Paul writes, put on the full armor of God so that the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm. Notice it's not to go on the offensive, but it's to stand, persevere where you are. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Goliath wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds of armor. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, Goliath on his legs wore bronze greaves. In addition to this, writes Paul, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the arrows of the flaming one. His shield bearer, 1 Samuel 17, went ahead of him. Notice the shield was the wrong kind because it couldn't defend against the, the flying weaponry of his opponent. We keep going. Take the helmet of salvation, Goliath, the bronze helmet on his head. The sword of the spear, which is word of the God. Bronze javelin slung on his back. The spear shaft like a weaver's rod and iron point. We learn later that David uses this Goliath's sword to cut off his head. So he's got a sword too. You can almost see this story going through the Apostle Paul's mind as he's reflecting to the church of Ephesus that the battle you're in is the same battle that David saw. It's the same battle that we are up against today. That the society we are in, the culture we're in, the world, as Paul would write, is calling us away and day after day, 40 days back and forth until David steps in to see the heart of the matter. And so each one of us are encouraged a little bit differently to wonder about that in our own lives today. Because not all of us are facing the same kind of battle. But the reality is that each one of us is in uh, uh, facing a situation where we can see the lines drawn. After all, the polarization of our society makes this incredibly easy. Everything is divided. There's a line that runs through every conversation. And we are encouraged to stand on one of those sides, to drop the battle line, And yet David, 
walks up and sees only one fight. And our fight is not against the earthly powers, but against the forces in the heavenly realms, the powers, the rulers, the authorities of this dark world. And so you and I as Christians are called to see that and sent into that, not powerless, but with the word of God, the shield of faith. We are given the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. We are equipped for this battle to go. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is such a familiar story, and we learn it as kids. We are reminded of it as uh, young adults. We've, many of us have heard it uh, hundreds of times. And we would pray that as we hear it, that we would hear it anew again, especially in 2023, where it is easy to forget that Everywhere around us is encouraging us to not see with your eyes or to see with the eyes that follow the heart of God. Help us as leaders within the church to see those battle lines and know what we are up against. For those of us who will be heading to work, help us to see what's really going on in the lives of our coworkers, in the lives of our business, in the lives of the students we interact with. Help us to be able to see what's truly at stake and in that way be able to step in with either an encouraging word or a call to faith. When we're at the coffee shop and we're listening to conversations going on, help us to be able to see the truth of the matter, the heart of reality when we are listening to the news, when we are watching sports, help us to remember the heart. And help us also to be convicted when those things which seem to be the most important distract us. God, we need your help for this. We cannot do it on our own, and so we desperately ask for the power of your Spirit. And we take a few moments now in silent prayer to allow you to put in our minds perhaps the place where you're inviting us to see more clearly and also some silent time to just pray for you to fill us with the clarity of your spirit. Hear our prayer, for we offer it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want to invite the team to come. Forward.